You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Dr. Charlie Edward Dates. He is the senior pastor of uh, Progressive uh, Baptist Church, and uh, he's a kindred spirit with me because he did his bachelor's degree in rhetoric at uh, the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, has an MDiv and uh, doctor's degrees from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, He did his uh, research on the health of proclamation in the late 20th century black church uh, in Chicago there, and uh, we are delighted to have you here on Preaching Source, Brother Charlie. Thank you, Dr. McCarty. My pleasure to be here today. Graciously, uh, gratefully, rather, appreciate the invitation to be with you. Uh, All right. Uh, Dr. Dates, uh, in academic circles, we talk about the tradition of African-American preaching. What... uh, Define that for us. What what are the what are the characteristics? Yeah, you're of, trying to give me a trouble early already uh, <laughs> of African American preaching. Yeah, it's it's easy and difficult at the same time. Uh, there are defining traits within the African American preaching tradition. I'll see if I can list a few. the The most popular one is celebration. It is the art of celebration, and it it comes. It streams to us from multiple rivers. One is that uh, that word euangelion is good news. And in response to good news, there ought to be celebration. And so from the Old Testament to the New, uh, African-American gospel preaching focuses on the good news of the biblical text. And you can sense in the preaching, both in the rhetoric and in the Uh, the cognitive and emotive expressions of it, the art of celebration rises to the top. Uh, One of the other streams, historically, in our nation, black preaching has been, has held a high view of Scripture and a high Christology. And so although uh, it was not nurtured under the uh, watch of white intellectuals, it nonetheless captured a very Uh, high view of God's Word, which is striking, particularly from the days of slavery to observe, because, um, and this is historically documented too, black people were Christians well before they were brought over in the transatlantic slave trade. So it's not like we adopted the faith of our uh, slave masters, as it were, but the fact that we held on to the Christian faith, although it was used against us, is a remarkable, remarkable feat. I think it's a remarkable um, demonstration of the work of the Holy Spirit. But cradled in North Africa, you know, from Origen to Augustine to Tertullian, um, there is this rich tradition of Christian thinking in African people. As we come over to the States, we don't abandon that. We, We rather have a, we take God at his word. And not only that, there is a uh, a high focus on Jesus Christ. So uh, Brian Chapel wrote a book a few years ago called Christ-Centered Preaching, and you can sense even in that text, in my opinion, that he's calling an emerging, emerging generation of preachers to keep Christ at the center of our proclamation. And it, it was refreshing for me, and part of the reason it was refreshing is because that's the way that I grew up. I mean, the, the preaching in the church I came of age in and around Uh, our church always got to the cross. 
not necessarily as just a stamp on the end of the sermon, but it was as though there were this red line moving through the scripture that the preacher would unfold before us uh, an, an image of how this connected to the redemptive historical narrative. The scarlet thread of yeah, redemption. Th- there you go. There you go. Somebody wrote on that, I guess. I can't do that now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the art of celebration, a, a high view of Bible, um, a high Christology, and a corresponding resistance against systemic injustice. Uh, so there is this plea, this burden in biblical black preaching that refuses to keep uh, the ethics of the gospel uh, ephemeral, um, esoteric even, just out in the open. It, it seeks to concretize, to make tangible the liberation that Jesus Christ gives us. So uh, we like to say it this way, that there is in the tradition of black preaching uh, a conversation about the slavery of sin, but also the sin of slavery, so that you have at the same time a, um, a resistance in, in what Paul argues in Romans against how sin is an abuser. It, it will take us and it will destroy us. And yet at the same time, in Romans, you see these words used interchangeably, that there is a resistance uh, against injustice, because that idea of righteousness and justice, of, co- of course, go together. And, and so our preaching, both from an existential, experiential perspective, has not had the privilege to stay away from societal issues. It, by very nature of the gospel promise, has had to affirm the Imago Dei in, in African-American people, and as a result, takes on a kind of corporal, communal uh, application within society. That might be enough to get us started. It certainly is. Uh, the the slave the sin uh, the slavery of sin and the sin of slavery. That's a nice chiasmus, doctor. <laughs> yeah. <Dave's> there. <laughs> it's not it's not mine, but I uh, <laughs> but it, it it is very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now th- this is fascinating that that you have reached back centuries in in your your tradition and your history, you're reaching back centuries all the way to the very earliest days of the church. And, uh, I mean, all theologians look back to that, to Africa as a center of Christian orthodoxy. And, and in the early days when the church is spreading around the Mediterranean world and trying to uh, define itself against the uh, secular philosophies of the day. It's it's from Africa that those great voices of orthodoxy come, and you, that's it, it's. It, I'm fascinated that that's a part of your consciousness, of of your identity in the African American tradition of preaching. We probably could go a step further back. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of Egypt, I have called my oh. son. <laughs> uh, the, the text says, "You are a rhetorician, Doctor well, Bates." I, I, the, <laughs> I, I think these are more than subtle nuances yes. for us to observe. I think they are very blanket, fascinating um, <laughs> impositions of the will of God, that God would let Jesus be cradled, as it were, in North Africa. And after the terrible reign, of course, of Herod would pull him back in. And so I, I would to God. You know, man, I went to uh, uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and studied under some great 
historians, Doug Sweeney and uh, John Woodbridge, um, just just a number of them. And uh, I, I would to God that more of the focus of the church's cradling in Africa would be spread abroad in our evangelical institutions. I think that would help us handle today, quite frankly, and some of the, uh, the challenges we face. Mm. All right, how can preachers who are outside the African-American tradition uh, benefit from, from the richness of that tradition? Uh, I mean, you, you uh, 60-something white guy like myself is going to look pretty ridiculous trying to overtly imitate uh, my African-American brothers. But what, what can uh, preachers like me and others outside that tradition, what, how, how can we be nourished and taught by that tradition. And that, again, is a simple yet complicated question because, in one sense, students like me have had to learn from professors like you all our lives. You know, So the, the simple answer would be in the same way that we've had to sit at your feet and learn the rhythms of homiletics to uh, develop a sophistication around hermeneutics simply by observing and reading and engaging, that's the simple answer. I, I would say observe African-American preaching and do it in an humble way. There's, there had, in, in my process of matriculation, there is a little bit of uh, homiletical arrogance around the, the question I have found where people come to the subject of black preaching with assumptions. I think you can't do that. I think if you're going to learn from it, you have to see it as a teacher and sit and actually um, see what it has to offer. One of the ways in which we can do this, uh, Dr. Jared Alcantara, who is a professor now at Truett Seminary, he is a Dominican, Puerto Rican. Uh, he wrote a book on Gardner Taylor called Crossover Preaching, basically lessons we can learn from uh, the dean of black preaching. And here it is, Jared is not a black guy, you know, but he's, he's written on uh, one of the prince of preachers, as it were, and he extracts these principles uh, simply from listening to Taylor over and over and over again. So I think we do need more writing like Jared's book, uh, and, and more is being produced. Hopefully I'll be able to, to contribute one. Uh, but, but where you sit and you just listen to the beauty of the preaching so that more is caught than it is taught in, in one sense. I, I like the term crossover preaching. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, good, that's a good handle for, for what you're talking about yeah. here. And then I, I would say, too, Dr. McCarty, the goal is not imitation. Uh, and the, the goal is to thread, to weave in, to intertwine the brilliance and the genius of African-American preaching where you are so that it's not so much stylistic as it is substantive. And now there is style. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, man. I mean, there there is uh, all kinds of there are all kinds of aspects from um, dialogical narration to um, axiomatic exposition uh, to uh, the use of repetition and the art of storytelling that go into that tradition. But I think when you listen to it, you'll catch it, and and so you don't necessarily have to sound intonation like an, like a black preacher, but you can develop in rhythm and in substance as a black preacher leads. Mm. Of all of us who are preachers or uh, rhetoricians recognize the incredible 
power of story. Mm. You know, we, we're mm. still telling moral lessons mm. from uh, a, a Phrygian slave named Aesop from, mm-hmm. you know, 3,000 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way from the cat in the hat to the days of our lives. You know, everybody <laughs> wants to hear a story. <laughs> And, and that's, I've always found that's one of the things that is so uh, both captivating and nourishing is to sit and, and to listen to uh, African-American preachers as, as they narrate. There, there's a special magic that does that flow out of the, the African storytelling tradition or what? How, how, how do you guys do that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if it flows out of th- that tradition first. I think uh i it'd be i'd be hard pressed to give a percentage but much mm. of the bible is story yes so the the pentateuch and the historical books even the law even, is put in, yeah, in narrative yes. and then the gospel itself um mm. matthew mark luke and john are these sits im labens these life situations uh where you get a biopic uh of jesus christ and so I think that's where it starts, even when you look at the preaching of Jesus. So Jesus, or the teaching of Jesus, Jesus is walking by a fig tree one day that's not producing fruit, and he starts to tell a story. You know, he, he is uh, caught on a stormy uh, lake, and he, he uses the circumstance and the situation, kind of the, the narrative of life that is happening in that moment to teach truth, by all means, uh, within the African tradition and the oral tradition, there is a, an awakening of the mind through storytelling. Um, and so I, I do not um, disagree, I, I'm, I'm sure. And, and as you read some of the old sermons of slave preachers and the early records that we have of black preachers, in the the United States, they were fantastic narrations of the biblical narrative. And that bleeds into our music and it bleeds even into our escape from slavery. So that the Underground Railroad and that black spirituals are framed in biblical stories. So it, it does not escape my mind that over time that would develop into a rhythm of our preaching. And, and we could name preachers, uh, but it's something we've not lost. It's an art that, that has absolutely kind of trademarked, stamped the way that we do our, our preaching. But I think it goes beyond Africa. I think it, it, my basic uh, claim is that it goes into the biblical narrative itself. Mm. Dr. there one of the happy developments in, in contemporary preaching has been a re-emphasis Uh, And for some people, a a rediscovery of expository preaching. And here at Southwestern, we we really uh, bang the hammer for text-driven preaching. Uh, Have you seen that in the development of contemporary African-American preaching, a a reemphasis of exposition? Yeah, you know, exposition is kind of the sexy word these days, uh, as it were. I I think uh, it's been around for a while. I uh, Horace Shepard is a name that comes to mind, Paul Shepard's father on the, the East Coast. Uh, there are a, a number of preachers uh, of old who were doing exposition without the title. Now, in our 
in terms of a reemergence or an emphasis today, A. Lewis Patterson and E.K. Bailey uh, popularized the language of exposition within the last 40 years in the, the National Baptist Circuit. So it had been being done, but the technical language and the uh, emphasis around it has been augmented through their ministries. And now you have H.B. Charles Jr. and Brian Carter, um, Dr. Charles Booth, who recently went to be with the Lord, a number of uh, preaching conferences that highlight and illustrate uh, the power of exposition. And, and so I, I would say, man, between A. Lewis Patterson, though, and E.K. Bailey, they really, uh, again, for a new generation of preachers, uh, put it on the map. Those are strong names. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, it, whereas it had been being done, they, they talked about it. They, and on the revival circuit, you know, going from city to city across the country, uh, doing that kind of preaching kind of turned a new generation of preachers on to what was, what was being done. And Bailey wrote this uh, little booklet, Ten Reasons for Exposition. I think one of the first reasons in there that grabbed me was the benefit of preaching expositionally is that you teach your congregation how to read the Bible. So that just kind of sealed the deal. I, I had, again, I had emerged in a church where that was the regular um, preferred method of, of the dietitian. He, it, that's how he fed us. But it clicked with me there that you're doing something beyond uh, style that equips your people to read the scripture. And so I wanted to do that. I want, and, and that's one of the reasons I'm sold on it. Mm, so how, how best do all of us, uh, as we preach, take into account uh, people who are not like us, either age or race or origin? How, how, do, how do we all open our, our eyes and, and help to see life and, and apply the sermon to people who might not be exactly like us? That's a good question, too, Dr. McCarty. I wish I came prepared <laughs> this morning for your fantastic questions. <laughs> um, I think we have to be students of culture again, students of people. There is a kind of biblical exposition without an ex- exposition of the congregation, uh, a kind of exegesis of the passage without an exegesis of the people that, that I think uh, hinders us from preaching in a way that is most effective to people who are unlike us. And, and so from my perch, I've not had the privilege of just simply knowing my history. I mean, to matriculate at a Big Ten university and then at a largely white evangelical institution or just anywhere in, in the nation, as an African-American man, you have to learn about other people. You just have to, you know, it's, just, it's a matter of survival. But I learned going through the process that that was not the case for my peers. They, they were not forced to study other people groups. They did not have to know beyond their history. And that, I think, kept their preaching in a number of ways one-dimensional or in a single dimension. I, so I think uh, really exposing one's heart to the rhythms and, and culture, and in America, which is such a, we, we have such amazing diversity now uh, in music and in art and in food and down the street, by the way, it, it's encroaching upon all of us that there is no excuse for not knowing 
what is meaningful to people of other ethnicities. You really just have to walk out of your neighborhood and, and do life. Uh, so, th- so I think that's part of it is to develop a commitment to do exegesis on people, not just on the passage, and to expose one's mind to art and culture and life in very personal ways. So not just reading in a book, but actually getting to know people. That has helped me. It really does make you a kind of world-class preacher. I'm not saying that that's what I am, yet I hope to become one. But, but in doing that, you learn the language of, of, of the world. People weep and laugh in all languages and all cultures. Sorrow happens in every ethnicity. Joy is the same. There's a communal common language uh, that as, as you kind of get outside of your own circles, you begin to experience in the cultural norms of others. Doing that, I think, can make one a prolific preacher outside of their own cultural norms. Mm. I just, I'm, I'm reflecting on, on just the last few minutes that, that you and I have spent together here. I, I have just been so enriched just by uh, our friendship and conversation here. And I'd, I'd encourage every pastor listening to us to, uh, to go find a, a, a Charlie Dates oh my. someplace. <laughs> go, uh, go find a yeah. Barry McCarty. Go find yeah. somebody who's not like you, yeah. who, perhaps who does what you do, a, yeah. another pastor, yeah. and just get yeah. to know them. Yeah. And, I, I would uh, say, it, in a way, in terms of how you could do that, there are so many wonderful conferences these days. Uh, I know you guys had uh, Pastor Brian Carter uh, with you recently. The E.K. Bailey Expository Preaching Conference is coming up in July, right up, right down the road in Dallas. And it'll be a 1,000 African-American pastors, preachers there. And if you're not African-American, register for the conference. Man, they ain't going to bite you. They'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. Come on in and just hang out. You don't even have to be on to speak or teach, but just come in. And, and then HB has one uh, down in... Uh, Jacksonville. Ralph West has one. IC3 in in April in Houston. And so, find don't just go to the the normal places you would go, but go to one of these other meetings and just sit up under it and see what it's like. That's a good word. You mentioned E.K. Bailey's book uh, on expository. What's the title of that? Again? It's a pamphlet, actually. It's pamphlet. called Ten Reasons for Expository Preaching. Okay. And uh, I'm pretty sure you could contact uh, Concord or. Uh, Sheila Bailey Ministries and and get a copy. Okay. Uh, Are there other resources that you would recommend? Yeah, The History of African American Preaching by uh, Frank Thomas, uh, which came out maybe two years ago, is where I would start. The Journey and Promise of African American Preaching by Kenyatta Gilbert uh, is another uh, text. And Kenyatta has a number of helpful ones. Uh, Pursue Justice uh, is is another that is very helpful. Uh, HB's book, on preaching is uh, is another one that that I would uh, commend to you. And then when that Charlie Dates guy comes out with his, that's that's okay. one I, I would pass <laughs> on to you as well. Um, and then Cleophas Larue has one on um, oh the name escapes me. Can I get a witness? Is what I want to call it, but I, I'm not sure that that's the title of it. And then they never like to quit praising. Uh, by Frank Thomas is is another that I direct your attention to. Now you could read the staples like Black Preaching uh, by Henry Mitchell, uh, the the history of the Negro Church by Carter G. Woodson hits at preaching too. Uh, just a, a number of things out these days for us. 
Well, this morning, the professor has been sitting at the feet of Dr. Charlie Dates, learning some wonderful lessons. And uh, Charlie, thank you so much for being with us on Preaching Source. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.